Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. We're back with another episode of Offside Hockey Talk for your listening pleasure. And tonight, to kick it off with the pregame speech, we're jumping right into the Blackhawks conversation. Obviously, the investigation is done. Lots have happened since the last time we did an episode. Coach Josh, not available tonight, will be joined shortly by Mr. Rob Reese from the NHL.com to talk about some players around the league. And, of course, we'll break down the Toronto Maple Leafs with him. But right now, let's talk about the topic du jour, the, everything that's breaking down here with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. I want to start by saying instantly, I think the way that Bill Daly and Gary Bettman handled that press conference, they were absolute cowards. They didn't answer the questions properly. Uh, they didn't give detail. They didn't give context. They didn't help, you know, further the conversation with anyone. No, I think they hindered it. I think they diminished all of the efforts. And to not allow Rick Westhead to ask questions and to repeatedly go back to Darren Dreger, a guy who's having technical difficulties, and then have Pierre Lebrun step up and say, hey, Rick Westhead deserves to ask questions. This guy also said on the Steve Dangle podcast that he's in contact with the NHL daily and no one gets back to him. It's kind of funny. The reporters with the most information on this topic are not being listened to, are not being heeded by the NHL or lauded for bringing this forward and pushing the envelope to get this to where it is now. I 100% sat there and watched that interview with Kyle Beach and how did you not get emotional? And if you're Gary Batman sitting there today, how can you not just be a human being and not a robot for the owners for a second and actually take the time to have real human responses? I know you run a business. I know you run a league, but your calculated responses, that is not what is needed right now now right now we need healing right now we need proper answers right now you need to be taking care of each and every situation you sat there and said how Kyle Beach dealt with this for 10 to 11 years in silence and agony by himself and then they talk about John Doe too and you say well that player is not underneath the NHL purview they're not willing to go any further at this moment or make any commitment to helping him if you're helping one you help the entire situation because because of the failure of the Blackhawks organization to report Brad Aldridge and to push that forward and then Kyle Beach to even level more from Team USA to push that forward to talk to Don Fear, and nobody did anything. They are as much the problem as Brad Aldridge was because they did not stop it, they did not take it seriously, they did not listen, and they led to more victims. So this right here is the problem. You didn't take the proper steps. You didn't protect everyone. So now, now is your time to step up and do what is right. Instead, you stand there at a podium and tuck your tail and say all of the lawyered up stupid stuff that you're prepared to say and nothing more. And you duck, dodge and weave questions like Neo in the goddamn Matrix. And it's ridiculous. It's sickening. These are people's lives that you are messing with. And you're standing there saying you have no commitment to helping those that were hurt and damaged by a situation created by a team underneath your purview. You need to see 
what everyone else is seeing. Take off your Laura glasses and sit back and listen to everyone. Listen to the strangs of the world. Listen to the West heads of the world. Listen to these people who put in the time and the effort to bring this forward and make sure change comes about. You talk about Quinville, you let them take the easy way out. You let them step down. These guys do not deserve to be just stepping down. I know it's all about pay stupid stuff. I want to hear your fire. I want to hear this person will no longer be able to work within the NHL because of this. But no, it's the old boys club and everybody's getting a free ticket to ride. And it's absolutely sickening. Do better. Be better. Protect those when you should have done it 10 years ago. Step up now. Do the right thing. Be the people that we want you to be to run this league. Be the change that you're saying you are. Saying the NHL took steps. Bull crap. The NHL did not take steps. If it took steps, today you would have been up there saying we will do everything possible to support each and every victim because of this. But you did not. You didn't say those things. And that falls on you. Don't know where to go with this any further. We're going to jump on with Rob Reese for 15 to 20 minutes here, and we'll uh, we'll touch back on this. There's no easy way to pivot out of this, but Batman Daily, NHL, do better, be better. And I want to know your thoughts too. Leave them in the comments down below. Let me know what you feel about this whole situation. I think Batman himself has to go. He needs to be out. There needs to be a changing of the guard in the NHL. And we're going to keep this conversation going until Rob Reese joins us and we'll switch up to some other topics. But right now, this one right here, it means a lot to so many people. And this needs to be talked about. It needs to be continually brought up until the changes start to be seen. The only way you can manifest change and do it right is to continually work at it and get better at it and be better detecting, have better fail-safe, better systems. But right now, it doesn't seem like any of those are there, and it doesn't seem like any are coming from anyone else in the NHL, and that's absolute and utter crap. Like I said, it absolutely is sickening to hear these things and the fact that they do not want to commit and all of these other parts and bits and dribs and drabs that you've been hearing. It's just, it's sickening. So let's pivot for just a moment. Not easy to change, you know, gears on this kind of subject, but we're going to be jumping on with Rob Reese, and we are going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Want to ask him about Cole Caulfield, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, a couple of players with high lofty expectations, but actually haven't been able to step up so far this season. Um, you know, talk about the Maple Leafs, see what's going on there, what he thinks about the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner going cold, uh, starting to get a little bit of rhythm and roll going back on. What he thinks about some of the players jumping in on that squad. Also, we'll be rolling it back. I'll be talking about the Montreal Canadiens as a whole. I want to talk about San Jose. Are they fun again? That's going to be around the rink, around the boards, whatever you want to call it. But right now, we're waiting for our guest du jour to jump on here. Shouldn't be too, too much longer for Rob Reese to swing in. There he is, the man, the myth, the legend. It is Rob Reese. What's going on? What's up? What's up? Ah, uh, you know, living the dream, buddy. Jeez, no camera for you. Why, are you scared? Oh, I got the I got hockey on, so I don't know if we got the copyright here, but that's all right. I don't think anybody's gonna be uh, gonna be you know, beating down the doors of offside anytime soon. So I think we're all right there. All right, all right. <laughs> so um, yeah, I want to have you on. Obviously, um, 
I didn't have my co-host here. I was just doing the rant on the uh, the Blackhawks situation, uh, talking about how, you know, Gary Batman and Bill Daly were kind of doing the matrix, you know, dodging the bullets today. Uh, but I want to have you on to talk about some things going on around the league, uh, like young players like Caulfield, Kaprizov. And then, of course, I want to ask you about the Leafs. Obviously, it's what we do on this show. So uh, let's jump into her here. Obviously, uh, you're a fantasy guy. So coming into this season, you know, I listen to a lot of what you guys say. I try to, you know, absorb that knowledge and put it towards my own stuff. And, hey, I'm, I'm 2 on one this season so far, head-to-head, so not too bad. But um, Kirill Kaprizov and Cole Caulfield were supposed to be my goal scorer, guys. Um, you know, pick me up some extra points, you know, young guys, rookie chase, all that stuff. But neither of them seem to be scoring, obviously. We see what happened with Caulfield today, down to the AHL. I'm wondering for you, obviously, with Kirill Kaprizov, got the big deal. And that may, you know, weigh on his shoulders. Who knows? Uh, obviously hasn't scored yet this season. And then Caulfield, same thing. I think Montreal Canadiens fans, media, the whole likes, kind of hitched their uh, wagon to him as the next big goal scorer for Montreal. And I don't know if those weight of those expectations have brought him down, everything going on around Montreal. But what is your feel first on Kaprizov? And what do you think there? Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned at all about Kirill Kaprizov. He's a premier talent. He's a proven player already. Calder Trophy winner, breakout season, his rookie year. Uh, Minnesota, yeah, I mean, obviously they're lacking center depth, but when you're Kaprizov's level of skill, you don't need to be playing with the premier center to still make plays and score goals. Would it help? Absolutely. It would raise his ceiling even higher, but I think that's a classic case of just coming out of the gate a little bit slow, you know, you're holding their stick too tight. You just can't buy a goal. I think the first one monkey off the back type scenario, he gets really going. Uh, so we wouldn't be concerned in the slightest about Kirill Kaprizov, but Cole Caulfield uh, now with Laval Rockets and the Montreal Canadiens are just a disaster. Uh, we expected regression, but just, uh, man, not to this level, not to the level of Nick Suzuki not being able to score, not to the level of uh, them like looking completely lost without Carey Price and Shea Weber. Uh, I mean, it is, it's not shocking, but I think the level of play is pretty surprising given the fact that they made it to the Stanley Cup final, whether you think it's fluky or not, it's a humongous drop off, probably one of the biggest in any sport I can think of in at least the last decade. Yeah, well, I mean, that just shows you how important Carey Price and Shea Weber are to that squad. But you lost in all this is Philip Deneau. You know, you look what he's doing over in L.A. and what he's been able to provide for Anze Kopitar and allow him to be a little bit more of the uh, the offensive breath that he can take and do different things. I think that you're seeing that now in Montreal where Suzuki is not able to take those steps because he has to be more defensively inept and, and make sure that he knows what's going on, taking care of his own zone where Deneau is not there anymore. And I think you lose that opportunity to be more dynamic because you have to be more defensively responsible. Yeah, I mean, and that's a wonderful point. I think people forget, you know, how much of a difference maker to know is how much pressure he takes off the D group, too, because he's so good at playing two ways. And then you factor in the, you know, OK, hey, look, Nick Suzuki he goes out and signs a pretty big deal. Uh, well, guess what? You got to live up to the deal. You can't just sign a deal and then you don't show up. Yeah. The unfortunate part is he's a good young player, but he's a young player. He's inexperienced. He's not ready to be a true number one undisputed center. And unfortunately, in the National Hockey League, you've got to be ready to go when you get paid. And there's really 
no hard feelings if you're not. Uh, so fans in Montreal obviously are disappointed. I'm sure early season, granted, it's still early, and we should say that. With that being said, even if the Montreal Canadiens bounce back, here's a question for you. Even if they bounce back, what is their ceiling, right? Because because even if they get on a little roll, you know, you know they win three or four in a row here, I don't think anyone is, is going to be game planning all of a sudden fearing this team. No. It's, well, we just talked about Cole Caulfield. That was supposed to be one of your weapons. And then you bring in a mercenary like uh, Mike Hoffman to be on your power play. You know, none of these guys are exactly filling the net and doing what you need to do. Even if they go on a roll, it's still going to be a team committee on a roll, I think. It'll be, you know, lines one through four, everybody chipping in and scoring goals. It's not going to be one line or two lines or this player or that player. I think it'll be a committee thing, which teams can game plan against a little bit, but I wouldn't be afraid of it, you know, because you don't have an, an Austin Matthews. You don't have a Connor McDavid. You don't have uh, even even the San Jose Sharks this year rolling a little bit. Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, uh, Thomas Hurdle. You don't have those players on the Montreal Canadiens. You talk about Suzuki, and I've said this a long time, you know, the young guys there are young, like you just said. And I don't know, you don't have any mentors to bring them along. And, you know, you had Eric Saul there last year. And you talk about veteran leadership. A lot of that went. And they also don't have Edmondson this year either. So even if they do get rolling, it's not a team that you fear. And it's not a team that I think personally is going to make the playoffs. I had them out of the picture beginning of the year anyways. But this just further cements it for me. And the hole that they're in, it's, it's a deep hole to dig themselves out of, even though it's early. You still so wait by, two and eight. No, no. And, and it's true. You know, by bringing up Toronto, I think it, it's very accurate in, in, in your analysis of, uh, winning by committee doesn't really lead to winning during the regular season. It doesn't really win, uh, lead to winning in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The, I think the only team that can really get away with that now in the NHL is the New York Islanders. I think that team has the best coach in the NHL, maybe one of the best coaches uh, of all time in the NHL. And, and when you can buy in every single night and never deviate from the plan like the New York Islanders can, you have that status. They also have the luxury of having Matthew Barzal, who – unfortunately has not lived up to his Calder trophy season hype. That being said, he's still a premier player, still a great, you know, playmaker, 60 point guy, right? Nick Suzuki, you know, had one good season and now we need to see it happen again. And again, let's go back to Kaprizov here. When you watch Kaprizov play every single shift, he can do something that no other player on the ice is capable of doing that. You can't say that about Nick Suzuki. So he has a different skill class and that's not a knock on the player at all. He's great in his own regard, but in order to be transformative and to put the team on your back, you need to have that next level skill. Even look at Alex Ovechkin this season. He's what 36 years old. He's what second in points. Uh, He's scoring every single game. Okay. I mean, when you look at franchises around the league, guys, can't even come close to that they won't come close to that and for Montreal unfortunately you know trying to build Cole Caulfield as this 30 goal scorer as a rookie uh, it's just a bit fantasy land it's not actually happening listen I bought it it hard (laughs) I thought it was gonna happen and uh, you know I hope Kaprizov does take those steps but um, you know I look at Kaprizov and I liken it like this remember our Temi Bernard when he played for the Columbus Blue Jackets he was the engine you know, when he was scoring and going, the rest of the team was going. And they were exciting to watch. I look at that with the Minnesota Wild and Kirill Kaprizov. You know, when he's going and it's exciting and, you know, thrilling and scoring and doing all that stuff, like last year, Minnesota is interesting to watch and must-watch hockey. So I think, like you said, once he gets that monkey off the back, I think it's going to be filling the net, I hope. So my fantasy points can go up a little bit, but 
Well, I want to say too, I, I, I thought the same thing about Caulfield though. I thought he was going to be a 30, 30 guy. I thought literally right out of the gate, because when you watch him play, especially in the Stanley cup playoffs, he has juice. Like he has gut up and go. He has flat out skills like that. That's undeniable. But I think what you said about the, no, uh, the fact that Shea Weber is done, uh, carry price is out for a while. I mean, it's just like too much, I think for them to overcome. And I, I'm not sure I trust Ducharme there. And I certainly I certainly do not trust the management there who I think has way either overachieved or gotten a little bit of lucky. You don't want to call anything too much too yeah. luck in the NHL. Okay. But it is the one sport where you can, you know, Patrick Cornquist scores a butt goal for the Pittsburgh Penguins and all of a sudden, you know, they win back. Right. So it's like, yeah. there are some things that you just can't explain, but I think when you look at their drafts, going back to the 2018 NHL entry draft, taking a Sperry Kokaniemi because they thought they, needed a center. Uh, guess what? Kokaniemi now plays for the Hurricanes and he's playing wing on Sebastian Ajo's line. Uh, yeah. You had Brady Kachuk on the board, who was a consensus uh, top two, top three pick. You had Quinn Hughes, who was a consensus uh, top three pick. And you just, when you deviate from the best player available in any sport, it's always going to come back and make you look foolish. Oh, 100%. No, I, we talk about to know, we talk about, but all those things, it's all character too, right? Those are all character guys. And right now you, everybody's saying Montreal is looking for their identity. And I'm not saying this is a Toronto fan saying, oh, you know, Montreal's garbage this year. It's not that it's, they look lost, you know, with Shea Weber, you have that confidence on the blue line. He was that leader, you know, he would run through a wall. Everybody would follow him. There's a reason why they all went to him when the, the, uh, the cup was awarded, right? They were all you huddled around him because they knew how much it meant to him and how much they would do for him. Same thing with Carey Price and Phil Deneau and Edmondson. All those guys, even Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, they're all guys that were character guys that knew how to win and knew how to do it when it was, you know, things were down, chips were down, it was tough. You know, they would have those messages and do those things. They don't have that this year. They were relying on the younger guys to take that next step. And I think, in my own opinion, I don't think they've taken that step. I think they've really regressed, like you said earlier, and I don't think there's any recovery this year. I think they're going to be playing for Shane Wright. And that may be the plan. Maybe that's why you put Caulfield down in the minors, let him build his confidence, play down there for the year or most of the year, and then bring him back up at the end. But I look at a two and eight team and say, I don't see any way this team's going to recover properly and be a threat going forward, unless they rip off 10 or 12 in a row, which is unlikely. Yeah, but even at that point, I don't think anyone's going to look at them and be like, ooh, I mean, the big bad yeah. Habs are coming to town. It, they're not, okay? It's just not going to happen, right? Like, if, if Buffalo keeps this winning thing up, you're still not going to view that team as, like, a contender all of a sudden. You know what I mean? It's just it's not going to happen. I, I Last thing I'll say about the Habs, though, is, is I don't really agree about Cole Caulfield going to the minor and finding his confidence. I think when you're at a certain skill level – there's nothing more players can learn from being down there. I just don't, I mean, yeah, he could build his confidence, but I think in terms of actually learning the game, learning how to overcome adversity, I mean, yeah, he'll go down and dominate at the AHL level, but I think he's such a world-class player. It's almost better riding out the trials and tribulations and kind of having a learning experience that, Hey, winning's not easy. And yeah, we played in the North division. We were given a gift last year, you know, from a, a divisional standpoint. And when we got the, the, the playoff format in our favor, but it's not easy. And especially when you got to go around the NHL, you got to travel a lot. You got to stay overnight. You got back to backs. It's not how it's, it's last year is gone, long gone now. Do you, do you, uh, well, last thing for me on the Habs before we switch to the Leafs right quick. Um, do you think the Habs rushed him? 
Um, you look at last year, they brought him in towards the end, really right near the end, uh, pretty much as close as you can get, brought him through the playoffs. But that's all he had, really. There wasn't a whole huge sample size. Yes, he was putting up points. Yes, he was scoring. But it was also, we talk about that team that was rolling at that point and doing different things, you know, and was building towards something. And then they get in the playoffs and they're down 3-1. And yes, I know Leafs fans are going to hear this and get upset at me, but then they beat Toronto and, you know, all bets are off at that point, right? Everybody's having fun. Everybody's loving it. So you look at this and I say, uh, for, for Montreal fans this season, I think you need to just accept the fact that this is not going to be a great year and you don't know what's going to happen with Shea Weber. They're very non-committal on that. Um, when I think it was Drew Ann said that he's retiring or retired, you know, they quickly refuted that. So who knows what next season they'll bring, but I really think they'll play for Shane Wright. And I really think they'll make that pick this time and not pass up on a premier player. Well, that's actually, I think it's a very fair question that they rush him. I mean, I'm looking at the Habs lineup right now and just look at all the wings they have. Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, Mike Hoffman. Uh, Druin, who came back and, and is, is it's nice to see him having kind of a bounce back. Right. But, yeah. but when you look at all those wing names and even Lekkanen, you can include there, like, these are guys that are kind of second liners. They're, they're kind of third liners. Some of them are like oddly power play specialists, but really not good for much more than that. And, and you kind of are almost forcing them to play 110% every, every single night. night. And it's not a knock on Caulfield at all because He's the best one out of any one of those guys I just named easily. The problem is when you're, you know, 19, 20 year old kid, whatever, and, and you're coming in there and you have to be the guy, you better be Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, Austin Matthews, or Connor McDavid, or you're not going to carry the team, period. No, you're not. And you look at those players too, you mentioned there. Josh Anderson, to me, big body drove the net, didn't put up the points they expected. They thought they were going to get that power forward guy who could probably pot you 25 to 30 in a season. They wanted that. That's what they want out of him, I think. But, 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 but Anderson and Toffoli, and these are all kind of the same player, more or less. Like, they're all kind of good for 20. They're good for 25, but they're all inconsistent. They have yes, to get hot. They get, you know what I mean? It's like all the same. Yeah, well, that's why last year everybody was so – like, Habs fans were like, oh, we got Tyler Toffoli. Look at him go. And it's like that's a career year for him. What he's doing right now is not sustainable over 82 games. You're getting a gift this year. He's not going to be that player. He's going to be that player, like we just said, 20, maybe 25 goals, and that's it. But last year was an anomaly. And for the whole Habs team, I think, there was a lot of things there. But let's uh, let's switch it up for a moment here and talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, that's what this podcast is focused around, the blue and white. And they came out of the gate sputtering themselves. It looks over the past couple of games, even though it was against one of the worst teams, the Blackhawks, and then, you know, they go out and they play a back-and-forth game on the weekend as well. For you, I'm wondering, do you see this team starting to turn that corner and, and gel a little bit? And also, for once, it looks like Keefe is actually challenging guys to be better, splitting up Matthews and Marner, taking Hall out of the lineup, breaking up Hall and Muzzin, changing the D pairings, not afraid to start Mrazek on a Saturday night on a big game. You know, he's doing all these different things that so many people have criticized him about being outcoached. I'm wondering for you, do you see them turning the corner? Marner gets one. Matthews needs to get off the schneid still. But, you know, this team does have the players to do it. But, yeah, if you're a Leafs fan, you kind of are gripping your seat every night. So let's zoom out here a little bit. 35,000 foot viewers. So 
Uh, yes, this team is going to play fine during the regular season. You know, Matthew's scoring touch is going to come back. Marner's points. The guy's playing 23 minutes a game. He's going to start producing. That's a fact. He's too good not to. Okay, he's playing. You put any skilled player out there for 23 minutes, the points are going to come. There's no doubt in my mind. I guess I'll go back to a word you used earlier with the Canadians is identity. And I think maybe the overarching thing for Toronto, and, and I am a, a I am guilty of this. I have got too high on them the past few years trying to think that they could be this team that they just can't be, I think because of their personnel. And I guess I would wonder, you know, yeah, they'll have some regular season success. I I would be absolutely flabbergasted if they somehow missed the playoffs, but let's say they do make the playoffs, you know, round one, round two, even if they get out of round one, I just don't know if this team has is built to grind it down is built to play pound for pound with the big dogs, the Carolinas, the Washingtons, the Floridas, the Tampa Bay. I mean, I just don't see it. Boston. Yeah. They took a step back. That team's overrated. I'll, I'll say that. That's my opinion. I don't, I don't care about stepping on toes. I think they're overrated. I agree. Uh, uh, but I, and I like Toronto a lot. I, I like Montreal. I just want to say this too. Uh, I, my bell center is probably my favorite place in the NHL to watch a hockey game. So it's not that I don't like the team, but I do, when we look at organizational rosters and we try and be like predictive of, of where they're going, I just don't know. And I'll ask you because you watch the team way more than I probably watch the Leafs once a week. I just don't see this group being the exact mold that gets it done. I think a little tinkering here and there, they're a piece or two away. Maybe one of the bigger names moves out type of thing. And they get, you know, two players back type thing. Maybe that's what they need, but I don't know if this exact group can go deep in the playoffs. I think what they did in the off season is they tried to address what you're talking about. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people right now are down on Nick Ritchie. Uh, they love Michael Bunting. They brought in the Ritchies. They brought in, uh, you know, these players here to be that slower plotting kind of play during the playoffs, because that's where it goes to. I don't care what the NHL says they're going to do, or they're going to crack down on the playoffs are a different style of play. It's not catered to the skill players. Hello, Connor McDavid last year, didn't get anything done and didn't have any penalties called against them either. So it's not catered towards that, but you look at the Wayne Simmons, the Jason Spetzes now, he's grinded it out in the playoffs, the Kerfoots, Richies, Bunting. I think those players will serve the Leafs well in the playoffs. I do, and I think that'll help the skill guys like the Matthews and the Marners once those guys are running through the walls. I, I liken uh, Michael Bunting to Darcy Tucker, you know, and that's the player that I see him molding himself after. But for me, it's the defense that worries me. I don't think Sandy and Lilligren are built for the playoffs. Um, are they going to be? Maybe. Morgan Riley, great puck moving defenseman. Jake Muzzin, if he doesn't get hurt, is good in the playoffs. Uh, Justin Hall, okay. TJ Brody is a two-on-one breakup machine. Uh, but I think they need one more piece on the back end. And I think maybe one more physical kind of Pat Maroon-esque kind of guy up front. And that's what I think they're hoping for out of Simmons and, uh, and Richie up top. Honestly, though, and in fairness to, to this roster and, it, and it's still being early, I think I'll make an NFL parallel here. It's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they can win flashy games all season long, but no one cares. They haven't won a, a, a championship since the early 90s. I mean, if they don't play in the playoffs and win playoff games, their fan base is not going to be satisfied. And I think the Toronto Maple Leafs, unfortunately, fall into the same category. They do. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, we all love watching the regular season. It, it's nice because the stakes are a little lower. You can watch Matthews ball out, you know, have some hat tricks here and there, right. And get excited. But if they win in the playoffs, 
then you know it's legit. You know it's the real deal. And it's kind of this like awkward waiting game where it's like, yeah, we're going to watch the games. We're going to go to the games during the regular yeah. season and support the team. But come playoff time, that's all we care about because this team should be in the playoffs and they should be winning series. You know, no matter which way the roster is constructed, no matter if it's Bunting, if it's Richie, or if it was, you know, whoever else, right? Yeah. Like they should be able to win a playoff series from their star talent alone. They should be, and I 100% agree, and I think they've seized up the past couple of years within the playoffs. But I look at this squad, and you're talking about it. When we did our um, our opening here for this season with the Maple Leafs, I talked about the fact at the end of it when we were talking to Alex Hobson, I said, what we want to see from this team and from what I want to see is I want to see them do gritty games. I want to see them grind it out, one-goal games. I want to see those because that's what the playoffs is. I want to see them hold on to that lead but I don't want the other team to be attacking the entire time. I want them to be able to suck the life out of the game on a 3-2 game and control the play. They don't have to score, but I want to see you shut it down. I want to see you lock it down where that other team is so frustrated they do dumb things and take penalties. But I want to see that. That's what this team needs to learn to do because those are playoff games. That's how a playoff game is played. You get a lead and you suck the life out of it. You look what Montreal did to Toronto with Philip Deneau. They sucked the life out of the game. Boston sucked the life out of the game. That's what Toronto needs to learn to do. And I haven't seen it yet this season. And it makes me nervous because that's what I need to see to get the feeling of buyback in. Because it's great. Like you said, I love to watch Austin Matthews go off or Mitch Marner, John Tavares, Willie Nylander, you name it. Great. Awesome. 7-3 game. I love it. I love all the points. Fantasy up the wazoo. But I want to see a 2-1 game and them lock it down. That's what I want, Rob. Yeah, let me ask you this. And this might ruffle some feathers here, but I, I have to do it. I have to do it. Do you enjoy seeing Freddie Anderson start his season 7-0-0 with a 1.29 goals against average a 9.56 save percentage and one shutout for the Carolina Hurricanes. That Carolina defense really gives it to goalies, doesn't it? Listen, I love Freddie Anderson. I wanted Freddie to stay, so it's not going to ruffle my feathers. I'm happy he's doing well. I'm happy that he's playing on a Canes team that is defensively sound and he's still able to show that he's a great goaltender. Also, it may just show that he needs that time to rest and heal and come back as a 100% goaltender. And you can't tell me he doesn't have a fire under his arse after last year, them sitting him on the bench during the playoffs and him watching Jack Campbell play after he's carried the load for the, I, I beat this drum the entire time. He carried the load for this team. And for that to go the way that it did with him, not even getting a sniff at the playoffs really was really was crappy. So yeah, I love the fact that he's over there and he's rubbing it in everybody's face and he beat the Maple Leafs. And of course, I think there was a record that night that he set too. So just another record against the Maple Leafs in the record book there, but no, I'm happy for Freddie. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely happy for Freddie. Just don't beat the Leafs in the playoffs, but that's what's going to happen. Cause that's the leafiest thing possible. The Leafs will make it past the first round, maybe the second run into Carolina, run into Freddie, and he stonewalls the ever-living hell at Austin Matthews and takes him out in three, four games, whatever, and that's it. No, it, it's, a, it's a good point, though, because I think having him play behind guys in Carolina that who, by the way, by the way, uh, lost Dougie Hamilton in the offseason who signed with New Jersey, okay? So that that is yep. a major loss. Let's not try and act like Tony D'Angelo, while he is ripping it up points-wise, he's not the same kind of defender 
uh, that Dougie Hamilton is okay. He can quarterback the power play just up there with anybody, but he's not making the plays, you know, on the other side of the ice, yeah. like, like, like Hamilton was. And I think it is really commendable and, and hats off to Freddie for doing that. But I do think it also reflects on the Maple Leafs that, yeah, this defense is a little shaky. Obviously Mo Riley is a, is a tremendous player. Uh, I, I like Muzzin a lot. I know he started slow, but I could see Muzzin. I could see Muzzin being the guy that, you know, he's always blocking shots. He's always making good hits. I could see him, you know, kind of having a good uh, rest of the season there. But beyond that, like TJ Brody, he's all right, but he he's serviceable at best, I think is, is, is fair. And then beyond that, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, like Sandine has potential, uh, but he plays, you know, 14 minutes a game. I mean, it's like, in the playoffs, that's not going to do a whole lot for you. So the, the Leafs are an interesting one. I think it's kind of like Colorado too, where like the, the team is so top heavy and talented that like no one's really worried about them, but like come playoff time, they are going to be under a microscope. Oh, 100%. They are going to be under a microscope. And the other thing that I'm a little worried about here, and I don't know about you, but I look at Jack Campbell and I look at Petter Morazic and I say, I love the tandem. Um, you know, Boston's done well tandems. Other teams have as well, but if you need a guy to carry the bulk of the load, is Jack Campbell going to be that guy? And I'm wondering, what is your feeling with Jack? Obviously, he takes the game to heart. Every single game means everything to him. Um, and that's important. Obviously, we talk about heart and soul guys. He would definitely be, if he was a defender, he'd be blocking every shot. If he was a forward, he'd be doing everything possible to get his team to win and score a goal. So in the net, I feel like he's that guy. But I also feel like that could be a hindrance to him as well. I mean, I, look, I, I, I'll, I kind of disagree with that. I, I think I, I don't care if you're, you're hundred percent bought in or not, if you're stopping more pucks, you know, I'm all about that. You know, if, as long as you're stopping pucks, you know, you're, you're getting the start in terms of my logic here, but, but to, to say, you know, whether I believe in him or not, I, I think he's a good goalie. He's not a great goalie though. I think you need a Sorokin type caliber. You need a Shesterkin type caliber. Um, you know, this whole tandem thing too. It's, it's interesting. Like it's trendy, right? A lot of teams are doing it. Who's winning the cups? Let's see. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. They don't even have a backup goalie. I mean, Vassie plays almost every single game in the regular season. He plays every single game in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So like these teams that have tandems, like, yeah, it's nice to have that security. If, oh, hey, my starting guy goes down. We know we can rely upon this other guy. But what team has won recently? I, maybe there's one I'm missing, but I can't think of one, right? Like that has actually had, you know what? I guess the Penguins, because they had Flurry and Murray, Right. And yep. then Murray kind of outplayed flurry. That was the last one, but it's very rare that you, you normally just have the outright number one guy. So hopefully Campbell can be that. I think Mrazek, uh, he showed flashes of that with Carolina last year when he, before he got injured, he, his, his stats were incredible. He was playing really good hockey. He's definitely capable of it, but me personally, I, I don't love this one, a one B thing, unless you're the New York Islanders and you've got Varlamov and you've got Sorokin two like world-class goalies, uh, they can stand on their head any night and behind the New York Islanders defense doesn't even matter. You know, you could probably stop pucks uh, in that crease occasionally too. <laughs> right. So, but, but I, I think Campbell's good. I think he's talented. I just, I don't know if he's the guy, like, does he have the swagger to be the guy? I thought Freddie was the guy, to be honest with you. I thought Freddie was a guy too. And like I said, last year, I think for him, he needed that rest. You know, he came, he admitted he came back and played with an injury while Campbell was out to carry the bulk of that load for that little bit. And it really set him back. And, you know, I know that there was all cap shenanigans with him going across the trade deadline and all that stuff to be able to bring in players and do different things. 
I really do think that Freddie Anderson should have got a chance in the playoffs. And you're seeing it now. He's got that fire. He wants to win. He wants to be the number one goaltender. And he wants to show everyone that last year was just a blip in the radar. I was hurt. I wasn't ready. And listen to everybody who was talking about Freddie. They said they want two years ago Freddie back. The guy that was, you know, saving the Leafs lunch. Eating the most shots in the NHL because the defense wasn't that great. Now you go, he goes over to Carolina and the shots against per 60 are definitely not as high as they were when he was playing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So he's allowed to, A, carry the bulk of the load, but B, not be facing so much rubber each night either. So they kind of go, for me, for him, it goes hand in hand perfectly. He's getting to feel the puck, but he's also getting a defense that's playing and shutting things down so he doesn't have to feel over exerted I guess to make all those saves and do all those 10 bell things that all us Maple Leaf fans got to see for years like I said I think the Leafs did him wrong and I said the same thing about James Reimer when they brought in Jonathan Bernier I think the Leafs did that wrong as well and I think again this offseason you had Jack Campbell do a great thing and I know you want to bring in someone to work with him but I really think you did Jack Campbell wrong as well by bringing in Petr Morassic and saying well no we don't have a definitive number one you know, I, I really think that Campbell gave himself the opportunity and you should have gave him the net. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, no, and I, I don't think you're wrong about that. It, it, it's an interesting thing. We'll definitely keep an eye on it the rest of the season. Before I jump here, I do want to say a couple of general comments. Uh, I've enjoyed the start of the season. I think predominantly I, we, it's been nice to see teams like the Detroit Red Wings, uh, like the San Jose Sharks, like the Anaheim Ducks, Buffalo, you can throw in there as well. Kind of teams that no one really took seriously. Uh, and, and maybe that's why they are having some success early <laughs> in the season. But either way, it's always nice to see these teams, like kind of you, you actually see the progress happen on the ice. You see 100%. the game coming together for them. And like, while you kind of see a team like Montreal regressing, it's kind of cool to see these other teams uh, that, that everyone kind of wrote off, you know, actually making some plays, you know, the prospects are coming through guys are elevating their game to a new level. And I think this has been one of the most predominant examples of that with those teams uh, that we've seen at least in the past four or five years now. No, I'm loving the beginning of the season. So many different teams and it's good for those things where you want to be like, okay, is it real or, you know, boom or bust with these guys? Because you look at Buffalo and I say, well, I think they're going to regress back to the pack. But San Jose, it seems like, and I don't mean to say it this way, but I mean, the Evander Kane situation kind of put itself, you know, to a resolution. And this team seems happier. There's a breath of fresh air there. They're playing, they're having fun, and they're scoring goals. And this seems to be the continuity and the energy through that lineup again. So I don't know if that was the situation, but you read a lot of quotes about that from the offseason. They didn't want him back. Now they're playing without him and they seem to be having fun. So I love that. And that's one of the things I had teed up for the show. Are the San Jose Sharks fun again? And it looks like they are. Well, and and last thing I'll say here is, is they are fun again. Uh, William Eklund deserves credit. Uh, Jonathan Dahlin deserves a lot of credit for playing top six minutes there. Obviously, uh, Sans Evander Kane. But I think the, the most important thing for San Jose was addition by subtraction. What do I mean by that? Uh, Aaron Dell and Martin Jones is no longer your goaltender tandem. Yeah. Martin Jones, you know, 880 save percentage for how many years in a row? Uh, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson playing 28 minutes a game, just getting run down, hammered in their own end. Uh, you need someone that can bail you out. And I cannot believe we are talking about this, but the fact that James Reimer 
and Aiden Hill right now is a better yep. tandem. Uh, I wouldn't have predicted that necessarily, um, but it just goes to show you, you know, it, it, getting Martin Jones out of there. Um, he needed a fresh start too in Philly, right? Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think was the biggest thing and the best thing for the San Jose Sharks. Oh, for sure. Well, Rob, I want to thank you very much for uh, giving us some time tonight. Really enjoy having you on. Hopefully have you on later in the season. Maybe the Maple Leafs will be doing better. Same with the Canadians. And some of those teams may have come back down and we can talk about that. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Take right, good care friend. and uh, go Leafs. All right, buddy. Go Leafs. Go. Talk to you later. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Reese from the NHL.com jumping on, giving his thoughts. So before we wrap out tonight, we're going to do a couple more things here. Want to quickly talk about the Montreal Canadiens and what's going on there. So obviously we talked with Rob about that. Um, for me, I look at Cole Caulfield and say, I hope that he finds confidence. I kind of disagree with Rob a little bit. Didn't get to jump in and say that about uh, Cole Caulfield. I think he does need to go down, gain that confidence. You don't want a player like that in a losing environment. And it seems like it's going to get real vicious in Montreal before it gets better. Not saying that as a Leaf fan, I'm saying it just looks that way. As a Leaf fan, we've experienced that with young prospects. Hi, Luke Shen. Hope you enjoyed your cups in Tampa. Um, but you look at that situation and you say, I don't want that young player there going through that. Um, for me, another thing I want to quickly bring up here is uh, we're going to do a three stars right here, right now. So three stars for the Maple Leafs this week without Josh. Kind of feels weird doing it on my own solo dolo, but here we go. Third star for me is going to be Mr. Jack Campbell uh, battling back against the Chicago Blackhawks. Getting that win, that was huge. Everybody loved it. Everybody enjoyed it. Another player for me, star number two on the Toronto Maple Leafs, is a heart and soul kind of guy, David Kampf. He scored that fluky backhand goal, but he's winning the faceoffs. He's blocking shots. He's doing everything he needs to do to help the Toronto Maple Leafs win, and that's exactly what this market needs is players like that that will do each and everything. We talked about Jack Campbell with Rob Reese and how he's a heart and soul guy. Love David Camp for that. For me, my first star of the week, hate it if you want to, ladies and gentlemen, is Mitchell Marner. Put up some points, scored the goal, kind of getting them legs going, get everything going, the juices flowing, and everything you need to bring him along as well. I think Mitch Marner is definitely worthy of that first star and for more steps to come. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Offside Hockey Talk for this episode. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.